this morning? I'll tell you, I have a privilege this morning. Every now and then we get to bring in somebody and we get to have somebody up here who is just, they're just a world changer. And we have one of those people this morning. And uh, Joanne Goodwin has been here before, so lots of you know who she is. She's a good friend of mine. She's also somebody that has just poured into me and poured into others and poured into hundreds of others over the year, just investing in them and showing them who God is. She is a walking story, a walking picture of God's faithfulness and, uh, and authentic and down to earth and as real as they come. And the power of God and the Spirit of God moves through her. So I'm asking if you would help me this morning to welcome Joanne Goodwin to come and share God's word this morning. Good morning. Thanks, Patty. Boy, you made me sound good. (laughs) Hello. It's really nice to be here again. It's just delightful. How many have heard me speak before? And you came back again. That's amazing. That's, that's all right. I might need to put my water on. Yeah, I forgot it. It's down there. See, he wears a cape because he's a superhero. Thank you. I left my cape at home. So, well, you know, I must tell you, I, I lived in this city for 17 years. All my kids were born here at the Montreal General. And it's really nice coming back and seeing old, uh, old friends. I, I know uh, uh, quite a few of you from times past, and it's good to be here again. So, you know what? I love to take Bible stories from the Old Testament and pick out principles in there that can help. Do you like speaking from the Old Testament? Yeah, I love it. I mean, some of it's wacky, right? Some of the Old Testament stories, like, hello, you don't want to read them to your children. Some of them get really weird, but some of them give us a a really good idea of how God thinks, how God interacts with his people, uh, what means a lot to God, what doesn't, and we get ideas about who he is when he interacts with his people. And, you know, I want to give you a context where this is. Like, when I was a kid, I knew all my Bible stories, Daniel and the Lion's Den, the parting of the Red Sea, the whole bit, but I had no idea how it fit together. So um, we're going to go through the Old Testament. You got time? So so first we have creation. I I meant right from the beginning. First we have creation, and then the fall. Sin came into the world. And it got worse, and it got worse, and God said, that's it. I'm going to build an ark. Noah, build an ark. And so everybody got wiped out except Noah and his wife and his three boys. Who were his three boys? Talk to me. Ham, Shem, Japheth, yeah. So they started all over again, and... uh, they built themselves into, into nations and the Tower of Babel and all this kind of stuff, and they spread out, but sin, sin, sin. And God said, okay, I am going to call somebody, and I'm going to form my own people. And through my people, I am going to show the world who I am. So who did he call? Come on. Abraham. So Abraham went up from, from Ur, up to the promised land, back and forth a few times, basically settled there. Then we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Jacob had 12 boys and a girl, but they didn't count back then. So the 12 boys, who were the two youngest? 
Benjamin and Joseph, yes. And we all know what happened to Joseph. His brothers sold him into slavery. He ended up in Egypt. He settled down there. And he, he, after, after years of slavery and, and misuse, you know what happened. And he rose to prime minister and, and he saved the land because of the dreams God gave him and yada, yada, yada. So he brought his brothers down and the boys settled there and became the 12 tribes of Israel eventually. And this is where they settled and lived. And, but it got ugly. It got ugly, didn't it? Turned into, uh, they were treated like slaves. It was for 400 years of horror. And who did God send to bring them out? Charlton Heston. So Charlton got them out. Took them to the, to the uh, promised land. They arrived there fairly quickly, but they were scared to go in. Ah, the giants in there, we're not going in. So God punished them for 40 years. They were in the desert. And then Moses died, and who took them in? Josh fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came with them. I got a little grandson named Joshua, and every time I see him, I go, Josh fought the battle of Jericho. And he goes, you may talk about your man of Gideon. And I say, you may talk about your man of Saul. But when Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, you know, the walls came tumbling down. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm sorry. I digress. So, anyways, they're going to the promised land, and they did what God said, and God blessed them, and everywhere they went, they were doing fabulous, they were conquering lands, and they were settling down, and whoo, God was at work. But once again, they started sinning, they started ignoring God, they started intermarrying with people who worshipped idols, and yada, 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 it became a really ugly time, the time of judges, when everybody just did what was right in his own eyes. It was like the Wild West of Bible days. It was a crazy time, but there were judges that God would raise up in the middle of all of this. Who were some of the judges? Yeah. Deborah. Who else? Did somebody say Samson? Yeah, he was, but uh, he didn't do so well, did he? But he went out with a bang. Eh? So the time of judges, and then they said, we want a king. Okay, God gave them a king. Who was first king? Saul. Who was second king? Who was the next one? Solomon, and under Solomon, the, the kingdom split into two, into the north and to the south. And in the north, over hundreds of years, out of 19 kings, not one served Jehovah. Not one. And in the south, out of 20 kings, there was about, I think it was seven, that did serve God. And so... At the, at the end of it, like, uh, God kept sending prophets and saying to, saying to these kings, you know, you've got to smarten up. You've got to stop this. You've got to smarten up. And they didn't listen, and they didn't listen, and they didn't listen. And God allowed Babylon to come in and take over, and they lost their homeland. When did they get it back? 1948. In Patty's lifetime. <laughs> She's not as old as you know, she looks young, but oh my. She's been around. So, anyways, so they lost their homeland, and over a series of sieges and a period of years, they, Babylon took the best craftsmen and artisans and philosophers out of Jerusalem and took them to Babylon. And they hated it there. They hated it. They cried for Jerusalem. We want Jerusalem back. We hate it here. 
we're being mistreated and the, the food is weird and it's a customs. I want to go home. I want Jerusalem. And the false prophets were going around saying, don't worry, God will have you out of here in no time. Would God leave you here? I mean, wouldn't you love to be able to preach that? If you're in a bad situation, sometimes people say that. They go up to say to somebody and they say, oh, I just know this is just going to work out for your good. And you don't know any such thing. We know that eventually things work out for our good, but we don't know how. I came down here to visit my dearest friend who is, they opened her up, found cancer, sewed her up again. Nothing they can do. I am believing for a miracle. But I also know there's a very good chance she could die. That's not lack of faith. That's just calling it like it is. But I'm praying for a miracle. I'm praying for something stunning to happen. I'm praying for her to be one of those people who they say, oh, you got a few months and it turns into years, and that's what I'm praying. But I do not have the audacity to say, I know you will be healed. I know a, a pastor and his wife. The wife was, um, had cancer at the end, and she kept telling her children, I will not die. I will not die. God won't let me die. I will not die. And so when she died, children were devastated. Faith is not just pretending. Faith says, my God will take care of me. He may heal me, and even if he does not, I will worship him. But anyways, the false prophets were saying, you're going to be out of here. God wouldn't leave you here. God wouldn't leave you here. Well, Jeremiah, who was a true prophet, had been left behind in Jerusalem. And he wrote them a letter. And can you imagine, like most of the people were illiterate, and they'd have to hear this letter through their priests or their elders, you know, and they, I can imagine the word spread. This I'm guessing. The word probably said, we got a letter from Jeremiah. We got a letter from Jeremiah. He's a true prophet. We got a letter from Jaya. And they, they would gather around. They'd read the letter. Read, I can't wait to hear it. Are we out of here in a week? Or do we have to wait like two weeks? You know what the letter said? You got a copy of it in your Bible. Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord God says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. Read it. Read it. Build a house and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters and have your sons and daughters marry. Pray for the peace and prosperity of the city to which you've been called. For if it prospers you. Now you see, that's a sad letter. You can't do that in a couple of weeks. What is it? Mary, have sons and daughters. They're talking years. They're talking generations. What he, he should have sent a year's supply of Prozac with that letter. Because that's a depressing letter. But you know what? I'm suggesting to you this morning, I'm just going to move this back a bit because I'm going to... There we go. I'm suggesting to you this morning, oh, I'm going to go in that hole. Is that a hole? Oh, wouldn't that be pretty? I'll try not to. So, um, what was I saying? You weren't listening, Patty. Oh, yeah, Prozac. Yeah. How could I forget? It's one of my drugs of choice. <laughs> anyway, I'm suggesting to you this morning 
that even though we believe in a miracle-working God, there are some things in your life that you cannot change. Many, many things you can. But some things you cannot change. For instance, you cannot change the family into which you were born. I wouldn't want to, but some would love to. So I have a friend who um, was so terribly abused as a child, sexually and physically and emotionally, when her mother found out the stepmother was, the stepfather was sexually abusing her, he, she threw her out and called her names. And then she went to live with a grandmother and continued to be abused by cousins and uncles and, and treated like a piece of dirt all her life. She loves my family. And we include her as much as we can. She's in a lot of our celebrations. And my mom, you know, she calls my mom, mom, and and mom makes things for her, and but she longs for a family of like that of her own. But she doesn't have it. Some things you cannot change, and I've talked to you before. You know I'm mentally ill. <laughs> Did you know that? You might not have sat so close if you knew, eh? And I live in the world of the mentally ill. I have what's called bipolar two. So it's not the serious form. I don't become psychotic and have never been hospitalized. My highs are just a little bit high, but I have had crippling depression all my life. And so when I finally, at the age of 40, finally got diagnosed and started taking medication, I, and I have prayed many times for healing, and, and God didn't heal me. So, so I take my medication... I'm suggesting that based on this, this is sometimes the way God works with his people. And sometimes, for whatever reason, there are things in your life that you cannot change, and the same advice given to these people might apply to you. Build a house and settle down. To me, that says accept your environment, cope with your handicap. This is what I have to work with. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Become productive in your exile. Make things grow in that dark place. Marry and have sons and daughters and have your sons and daughters marry. To me, that says get on with the business of living. Don't hide in a corner with your pain and with your story. Say, I can't tell anyone. And it's so crippling, our secrets. Whenever possible, share it, talk about it, show what God has done. I have been able to speak in some... I I got to speak once to to psychiatrists and psychologists and social workers in in a mental health hospital. And they said, and this was not a faith group, they said, talk to us about... um, what it's like to have faith when you're bipolar. (laughs) They're not going to ask you to do that, Patty, because you're normal. And if you're not, work with me. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? I have been able to lead people to Jesus because of this, not in spite of it. And sometimes I, I wish I didn't have to take that medication. And I, it makes you a little bit vulnerable. It makes you a little bit, um, uh, sometimes it's embarrassing. And sometimes people just don't get it. I was doing these uh, girls' night outs, they're called, for, for World Vision. And we did, um, we would go out on these tours out west, and we did all kinds of, uh, I did 100 girls' night outs. And uh, girls' nights out, 
girl night, girls night out, whatever. And um, so the, the World Vision rep that traveled with us, um, there was a mistake in the uh, hotel rooms one night, so she had to stay in my room too, and that's fine. And she, knew, she knows me. But just as we're going off to sleep, she said, um, Joanne, could I ask you a personal question? Yeah? She goes, how will I know if, you know, you're going to go crazy? Come on. I said, Peggy, I don't do that. I said, come on. And I said, even if I hadn't been taking my medication and I wasn't doing well, I would just start crying a lot and phoning Joe. I don't like, what do you think? She goes, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, what? What does she think? But I, I couldn't resist. I waited a couple of minutes and then I went, yeah, got to keep things lively. But, you know, I like to remind myself of some of these things people said. I like to remind myself so I remember there is that stigma. But that's why I tell my story. And that's why I talk about the goodness of God in the middle of all this. And that's why I like to talk of, of um, what he has done for me in this. And so I, I get productive in this land. I live in the land of the mentally ill. I would rather live in Jerusalem. See, I'm calling any area in your life where you don't want to be your Babylon. It's not, it's not always because of sin. There's, there are just areas in your life that you can't change. Like, like, who's somebody who lived in Babylon almost his whole life and was magnificent for God? Daniel. He wasn't there because of his sin. It was the sin of his people, but he was obviously a righteous man. And he had to live in Babylon almost his whole life. But he made it count. He showed different kings. Some of them said to him, wow, Daniel, your God is God. The best stories come out of Babylon. Daniel and the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Fabulous stories come out of pain, if you know how to trust God. So in the middle of this, my Babylon is the world of the mentally ill. And if you hear some of us talking at the back of the church sometimes, you'll hear things like, uh, sorry, are you on the lithium or the epivel? Do, do you take the Wellbutrin because sometimes it boosts the, uh, the Prozac or the, are, are you taking Paxil? And you think, what are they talking about? It's Babylonian. <laughs> That's our language in our little world. <laughs> it's precious, isn't it? And, you know, learning to accept, now, be careful Because some of you are saying, so I just have to resign myself, nothing is ever going to change. No, there are things you can change. But you need to know the difference. Like, what do they say at uh, Alcoholics Anonymous? Uh, Any sober drunks here? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the wisdom to change the things I can. No, no, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. So make sure that you're, you're, you're not dealing with something that you, you can change with the help of God. But, you know, it, it says after this, let's pray for the peace and prosperity of the city to which you've been called. Some of you have been hurt so deeply in life. And you've been broken by things. And you're, you think, why do I have to live in this land to a people who have been so severely hurt? 
why can't I be like, like her? She, you know, everything went well in her life and she's happy and I'm dealing with all of this. Sometimes hurt puts us into a place that we're not open to God, we become bitter. I'm suggesting when it says pray for the peace and prosperity of the city to which you've been called, I'm pushing it a little bit. If you're in that place and you're hurting bad and it's crippling what you do, perhaps it's because you've never learned to forgive. I know, I was really hurt by someone too. We've all got stories of that. I remember as I was growing up and, you know, once I'd finally, after the all up, up and the down of my bipolar and all this winging back and forth and finally deciding God is God regardless of how I feel. Did you catch that? God is God regardless of how I feel. And so... Um, you know, I finally settled down and was serving God, and then I got married, and I realized I've got to have to, I'm going to have to forgive this person who has hurt me so badly. And then I thought, okay, all right, so you look in the Bible. What does God say about forgiveness? Okay, forgive. That's it. It's the whole ball of wax. That's the whole enchilada. Forgive. Okay. So, okay, God, all right got myself perfectly prepared, and I said, okay, God, I forgive that person. There. And then I got up and I thought, okay, that's that. That's all over. Well, anybody who has struggled knows that's not the end of it. And it kept coming back. And I thought, well, why is it coming back? Because I said I forgive. And so I thought God should take that out of me, and then it's gone. And I never went in the sea. I've got that get down that good. Why am I remembering? And then I remember I heard preachers say, sometimes you give something to God and then you take it back again. So maybe I'm taking it back again. Maybe in thinking of it, I'm taking it back again. So what I will do, God, is I will refuse to think about it. I will not think about it. I won't think about it. I have a strong nature. You know, every time it comes to mind, just how about them Blue Jays? I, I won't think about it. Isn't that beautiful? So you know what happened? I started dreaming it. I was with a friend once, and we were out in Victoria, B.C. We went out there to live forever. I lasted three months. But anyway, I woke up in the middle of the night crying, and she heard me when I sat up in my bed, and I was crying, but I was just a little girl. You can't do that to little girls. So then I remember thinking, okay, God, what am, what am I doing wrong? I said I forgive. I, I tried not to think about it. What, what am I doing? And then I realized one of the things I was doing was lying to myself. Sometimes we want to be nice girls. We want to, you know, my mother raised me well to be nice and to kind. And so you kind of tell yourself, well, maybe it wasn't so bad. Y yes, it was. Well, maybe they meant no harm. Well, Maybe they did. Or we say, oh, goodness sakes, people have suffered more than I have. So? How can you forgive somebody if you won't even really admit that they did wrong and hurt you? 
So I started, every time it came back to mind, I just looked it right in the face. I said, okay, God, and I let myself cry. I let myself grieve, and I said, that was wrong. That was not fair. It was not right. And that's what I forgive in the name of Jesus. Call it what it is and give it to God. So I did that, and every time it came back, I did it again. And every time it came back, I, I kept doing that, but I noticed as I was getting into my 40s, it came back less and less. And then I realized this is the miracle I wasn't expecting. I can recall with perfect clarity everything that hurt me, but I can't work up the pain anymore. I think that's called healing. And you know, if you are in this land of dealing with something that hasn't been good, or you're trying to get through this problem or this problem, if you are harboring unforgiveness towards people who have maybe got you into that place, it's going to kill you. It's going to spiritually kill you. And I know, one of the things that stops us from being forgiving sometimes is we think, well, it's not fair. You're letting them off the hook. Well, you know, you might let them off your hook, but they're still on God's hook. And by not forgiving, you're only punishing yourself. You know, you know that. Don't let that control you. And, and then some people get afraid because they think, well, I, I can't reconcile. Forgiveness is not always reconciliation. Oh, it's wonderful when it is, and, and that should be our goal if it's possible at all. But for instance, if I was married to somebody and I found out he sexually abused my daughter, I would be out of there like a shot. My higher goal is to protect that child. I'd be out of there, but I'd have to forgive him. Yeah, I'd have to forgive him, but it doesn't mean having him over for Thanksgiving dinner. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes there can be no reconciliation. But as much as it is your power, you have got to let them go. And even begin to pray for them. Oh, I'm telling you, it, it is so stinking freeing, you will not believe it. It kind of, you know, when you learn to give of your money, of your time, of your forgiveness, of your mercy, it, um, you can turn into a fanatic, a beautiful fanatic, who just wants to let it go. You know, I, I picture it like this. Whenever you find yourself like this, you're holding on to stuff, whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's your service, whether it's your mercy. Let it go. Our hands should be open. The fist unfurled and, and let, it, let it go, let it go. Sorry, I got grandchildren. <laughs> um, and it's so freeing. And you know what? Sometimes people have a hard time forgiving or giving mercy because they can't forgive themselves. I, you know, the Bible says, with whatever measure you meet it out, it will be measured to you. So, I carry a bucket of mercy with me now wherever I go. It's very handy. Get, clean up quickly when somebody hurts you. Take the knife out of your back and douse them with mercy. It's so freeing. But for those of you, like, you know, some of you are saying, well... Okay, but Joanne, you don't know how horrible it is. No, I don't, but God does. 
but I got my own pain. Many of you heard me talk about my daughter-in-law, my daughter who was a severe drug addict and has now been free of drugs for two years, finally at the age of 37. Yeah. But it's been tough. I know pain. But if, if the only place you can start is to dip into mercy just a bit, maybe just a teaspoon, say, okay, okay, I forgive you. <laughs> if that's where you can start, start there. Start there. And pretty soon you'll be getting a scoop. And pretty soon you'll be like me and you'll have a barrel with you. You're going to wash people down with mercy. Oh, you know, they say love is the greatest word, and of, and of course it is. God is love. But to me, when I hear mercy, mercy, mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me, and it was there my burdened soul found liberty. At Calvary. And if you knew that song, you're old. But you know, some of you, maybe I have a hard time forgiving yourself, and I just happen to have this barrel of mercy right here. And this half of the congregation, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wash you down with it. Are, are you ready? You're ready to receive mercy? Ready? Whoosh. Let it pour over you. Let it seep into your pores. You are forgiven. You are clean. You guys ready over here? Okay, for mercy. Whoosh. Let it drip on you. Mercy is falling, is falling, is falling. Mercy is falling like a sweet spring rain. Let it pour down. Let it pour down. Make that place you're living in. Holy. Let it be a place where you find out who God is like Daniel did. Let it be a place that becomes a place of, of ministry and production and you're starting things happening when you know other people going through the same thing as you. Meet together with them. Encourage each other. Support each other. Reach out to people who don't know Jesus with your stories of healing, with your stories of grace. Because after that depressing list for the people, build a house and settle down, accept your environment, cope with your handicap. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Become productive in your exile. Mary, have sons and daughters. Have your sons and daughters marry. Get on with the business of living in this place. Pray for the peace and prosperity of the city to which you've been called. And then comes that lovely verse that we like to post on our walls. I have it at, 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 uh, on my wall at home. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans for hope and a future. But, you know, we love to plaster that, that verse up and say, well, God's got a plan to prosper you, not to harm you. Okay, hit me. That was given to them at the beginning of exile. 
to give them hope as they went through it, knowing that Jerusalem is coming one day. You know, the Jews have a saying at, at Seder, and they say, next year in Jerusalem, it should be ours too. Because some of you may not experience Jerusalem while you're here on earth. Some of you may get a taste of it. I live in the land of the mentally ill. I live in the land of parents of drug addicts. I live in the land of uh, people who've had cancer. I live in, you know. Make those holy places of ministry. Recognizing that he's got plans for you that are good. To give you hope and to give you a future. My mommy just turned 90 years old. We had a party, and she stood up at the end, and she said, I've been reading 1 Thessalonians 5, my children and grandchildren, and I've come to this conclusion. If you have a purpose and you have hope, you have everything you need in life. Plans for hope and future. So look around. Think about the things in your life that feel like they're crushing you. Think about the things that you think, I can't bear any more of this, and say to God, okay, If you're not going to get me out of here, will you show me how to live here in victory? Not just, oh, I'm going to have to accept. No! Take pain by the throat and use it to know God, to know victory, to know passion in the middle of your pain. And make it a cry of your heart next year in Jerusalem. Are you here? Did you hear what I just said? Isn't that great? Let me hear you say it. Next year in Jerusalem. Yeah. So build a house. Settle down. Plant gardens. Eat what they produce. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Next year in Jerusalem. We need to say thank you to Joanne this morning. And uh, yeah. Would you stand with me? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to close. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to take his word and just make it real in our hearts. There's going to be ministry team people at all of the stations that you see through the sanctuary. And if you want someone to pray with you, if you go, I just need somebody to just pray. You go to any of those stations as soon as the service is over and they're going to they're gonna pray with you. They're going to bless you. But would you hold out your hands one more time this morning? God, at this moment, there are some of us that are here. And, and we've just been, your presence has been here amazing throughout this gathering this morning. Now we've, we've heard this message and just going, so for some of us, we're going, that's exactly for me. So God, we just take a deep breath. And we just absorb your word. We absorb um, your, your, your encouragement to us to, to live in forgiveness, to live in mercy, to live where you've placed us and to live well there, knowing that you've called us to a hope and a future. God, would you settle that deep in our hearts today? As we go now out back into the real world with friends and with family and with work and with school and with neighborhoods and 
traffic and construction and all that other stuff and heat. <laughs> God, would you help us now to turn around and carry that out there? Help us to carry your forgiveness. Help us to carry your mercy. Help us to carry, God, your blessing and your goodness and your faithfulness. Help us to carry Jesus into our world. Would you help us as we walk out of here to do good, to love each other, and to reveal Jesus to a world that desperately needs him. And we will welcome you to work in us and through us this week. In Jesus' name, everybody said together, amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Go to the Connect Cafe and grab a coffee or a nice water. Make sure you say hi to somebody. Welcome them home. We'll see you next Sunday.